bits and pretzels inspire you. You will figure it out. This is clearly the place to be. Servus, everyone. I'm Britta Wedling, Editor-in-Chief of Bits and Pretzels, and I welcome you to this episode of the Bits and Pretzels podcast. Today, I'm talking with Aaron Levy, the CEO of cloud company Pioneer Box and one of the most successful and outspoken innovators in the enterprise software business, who revolutionized the collaborative office environment. Levy is a true cloud pioneer. He has started his company 15 years ago at the age of 19, again, 19, and famously cold pitched his idea to Mark Cuban, while still an undergrad in the dorm room, and has matured from those early days into a public company executive, who has guided his employees, customers, and investors through various ups and downs, from taking his company to a $1.6 billion IPO to fighting for market share with big incumbents such as Microsoft and Google. In this show, we talk about what Livy has learned on the way. From pivoting your product when the market demands it to why startup is a state of mind, even though you're not necessarily a startup anymore, which Box, of course, isn't, to how to stay sane as a founder in the noise of the current situation. When you have various ups and downs, maybe it's investors, you know, have problems temporarily with the business model. Maybe you go from losing money to making money. Maybe you have a competitive dilemma and challenge that you have to deal with. The thing that gets you through those down periods in the business is being just unbelievably passionate about the mission of the company and where you're taking it over the long run. Hi, Aaron. Thank you so much for coming on the Bits and Presses podcast today. Hey, thanks for uh, for having me. Aaron, you are the CEO of the enterprise filing company Box uh, that you've started at the age of 19. Tell us how things are over there where you are in Silicon Valley in the US with the whole corona situation, everybody sitting at home and the number of infections rising uh, every uh, second day. Yeah, um, well, we're, we're, uh, we're hanging in there. Um, you know, I think... Uh, um, you know, certainly from a corporate standpoint, um, I think companies have responded uh, extremely effectively in the U.S. Um, by moving to remote work and making sure to to you know really make sure that their teams get more distributed and people can work from home. I think from an administration and a policy standpoint in the U.S., I don't think we've done as as good of a job on really creating um, best practices and, and um, enforcing those best practices from a health, uh, health standpoint. So um, making sure that, that, you know, when people are outside and with other people that they're wearing masks, making sure that we have all the right kind of testing and tracing infrastructure in the country. So um, I do think that there's, um, you know, quite a bit of a gap in, uh, in what we need to do as a country to make sure that we're responding to this pandemic. But I do think that, that you know, companies, uh, especially in the tech industry, um, that they've responded very effectively to, uh, to to this virus. You know, it's interesting because whenever I talk to my friends over there in California, they're kind of insecure. Uh, there are a lot of questions about what the future will hold for them. What do you think are like the long-term consequences of the situation, specifically for the innovation industry? What does it teach entrepreneurs of how to deal with a crisis? What can we learn today? Yeah, well, I think um, I think that you know companies have absolutely had to respond to something that's unprecedented. You know, this this dual event of both a health crisis and an economic crisis. Um, really, we have no precedent for in, um, in in you know the tech industry or really any other industry. So, I think it it is it, it's inc it's critical cr critical for organizations to 
um, really uh, be much more agile and much more nimble um, to respond to these types of events. I think that, you know, keeping stock of your long-term mission and the North Star of the organization of where you're going is incredibly important right now, but making sure that you can pivot your strategy and your execution to respond to this um, this event and this environment is uh, incredibly important. So I think the companies that have done the best um, are those that have been able to respond by making sure that their product strategy, their business model is um, is as relevant as possible for customers in this environment and making sure that their employees um, are as safe and protected um, as uh, as possible. Many people in our audience of this podcast and many people who would join the Bits and Pretzels communities are founders themselves. They work in the startup industry here in Europe, in, in Germany. What do you think do they have to learn about dealing with a crisis? What are like some best practices that you are using internally, you know, for bringing employees together, having everybody on the same side and, and lead in this in this kind of crisis? Yeah, I think um, for, for any leader, it's really important to make sure that that the values of your organization and what you're committed to is incredibly clear and creating a high degree of transparency, a high degree of communication uh, to your teams and to your customer base is very important. Right out of the gate in early March, we moved all of our employees to a re remote work and work from home status. We made sure they had the right. right technology products like Zoom and Box and Slack to be able to do their work remotely. And we very quickly responded publicly to supporting our customers and making sure that our customers knew that we were going to work unendingly on protecting their businesses and making sure that they were successful. Um, and then we kept a very, very constant set of communications up for both employees and the market generally about what we were doing to execute through this event. So I think um, consistency, transparency, and alignment with all of the various stakeholders that you're serving, whether those are employees your customers, the community, or the broader public, um, that becomes very important in an environment like this. And um, and I think it just behooves any leader to make sure that they have that transparency, that they have that 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 communication, again, with employees and the public um, as much as possible in an environment like this. Right. That's, that's right. But, you know, on the other hand, I mean, Germany is, you know, kind of opening up. Uh, we all coming back to the offices wearing masks, but this is just the first step, right? I mean, everybody is expecting a huge recession. Uh, you know, some entrepreneurs and, and startup founders probably won't make it. And, you know, specifically for companies and, and also for companies, the big tech companies in, in, in Silicon Valley and in, including your company, it's, it's, a, it's a tough situation. So how do you prepare your team you know, for this kind of tough and uncertain future. I think that, you know, uh, crises can either um, can, can, can really amplify great cultures and they can, um, uh, they, they can um, uh, ultimately crumble uh, through weak cultures. And I think, you know, making sure, um, uh, you know, making sure you have a strong culture that can respond to the environment that, you know, remains focused on employees that remains focused on customers, that continues to be focused on innovation and delivering for your customers, I think that becomes incredibly important. And there's a lot of really difficult decisions that that entrepreneurs and any kind of leader has to make in these environments. And, and you know, really trying to make those decisions with a high degree of thoughtfulness about, you know, who are those decisions going to impact, um, making sure that you're protecting those that, 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 um, that, that are vulnerable in this environment But of course, ultimately being decisive, because in many cases, time is of the essence. 
you do have to move quickly. You have to be decisive. People are looking for that kind of leadership in this type of environment. And, you know, besides deciding to send everybody into the home office and really, you know, w with, with a really long time frame, and I think you said that you, you don't want to have employees back before February uh, 21. So it's a, like a long time frame. <clears throat> you also decided to pivot your product roadmap because of the current situation. So, so talk about what you did and why you did that. Yeah. So, so, you know, we, um, We, we made the decision that uh, that you know in in uh, in the spring time frame that um, even when offices ultimately reopen, uh, you know which we we certainly hope will be sometime this year at least in the U.S. Um, even when that happens, we are going to support employees working from anywhere throughout the entirety of of our fiscal year, which ends in January. So to your point, um, up until February. And we made that decision because we realized that even when offices are, are reopened, there's still so many other factors that employees are going to be dealing with. They're going to be, you know, possibly dealing with childcare issues. They're going to be dealing right. with the fact that maybe they have, you know, family members that are dealing with health issues. Um, there's, uh, you know, some employees have had to move to new locations to be able to support their family or to be able to, um, to make this uh, environment more affordable. And so we want to make sure that we're supporting employees um, as much as possible and allowing them to work from anywhere with confidence that they're not going to get pulled back into the office um, at a moment's notice. And, and you know, that, that happens very abruptly. So we made the commitment right. that people can work from anywhere um, until early next year. Um, we, we believe that there's going to be a significant increase in the number of people that will continue to work remotely after that point. And we will make sure that we have higher degrees of flexibility for when employees want to be able to work from anywhere, even if those are traditionally people that will come into the office to do their work. So we imagine a future where you still have offices as hubs for when people want to come into the office, they want to you know, see other people, they want to work with their colleagues in person. Um, we think that's going to be still very important going forward. At the same time, I think that companies are going to introduce greater degrees of flexibility um, and really introduce new work patterns where people can work on any device at any time from any location and collaborate with anyone. And the thing that will bridge those two worlds, that, that work from anywhere world and the office world, is really having a digital workplace. So right. being able to have a, uh, a modern cloud-based way of working that bridges the office environment and the work from anywhere environment. And that's what the future looks like. So that's what we wanted to be able to provide for all of our employees. And then ultimately, I think it's our job to make sure that we um, we help our customers solve these problems as well. So we wanted to make sure that we quickly pivoted our product strategy to be able to support new capabilities that would help our customers be able to work from anywhere, collaborate with anyone, introduce new features that would make them more productive in a remote work environment. So, so we ultimately made the decision to, to really pivot our own HR practices as well as our product strategy and the way that we go and serve our customers. What was like the most important pivot in terms of product that you did towards this, what I would call like a hybrid, uh, hybrid uh, future of work world we are all, you know, walking into right yeah. now? Yeah, I think there's three big areas. Um, so the first big area is on data security. So as employees go and work from home and they're working on unmanaged personal devices, um, there are all new cybersecurity challenges that become incredibly important. And so, um, and so we, we, we've had to introduce new security features that help people in their remote work environment make sure that malware is not infecting their computer. The second big area is around workflow automation. So as people move to moving um, their work from 
uh, manual business processes and paper-based business processes to the cloud, you want to start to automate and really drive much more collaborative workflows in the enterprise. And so we've introduced some new workflow capabilities that will help our customers automate their business processes that maybe previously were manual or analog business processes. And now they want to be able to go and digitize them. And then finally, we want to make sure that we integrate with all the applications that our customers are using. So products like Zoom, products like Slack, um, there's so many more tools that people are working from that we want to enable a secure way to access content from all those applications. So those have been the three big bets that we've made. And every single week, um, really since the beginning of of, uh, of the pandemic, we've been able to deliver new features and, and product improvements uh, to make sure that we could better support our customers in this environment. How do you figure out the right time to pivot your product? And I think, you know, in your case, this is not the first time because in the early days, you know, Box focused on B2C instead of the enterprise market. So, so what's the most important thing that you have to consider as an entrepreneur when thinking about pivoting your product? Well, I think... Um, you know, so far the pivots that we've done, even though at times way back when, 15 years ago, when, when we pivoted from, or 13 years ago now, when we pivoted from really being about consumers to being about enterprises, um, uh, even when, even when that maybe took us a little bit longer, um, than we would have liked, ultimately all of our pivots have been because the, evidence that we had of needing to pivot was so overwhelmingly obvious that you get to a point where you just, you can't, you can't look at the problem through another lens and come to a different conclusion. And, um, and when we pivoted our business model from being about consumers to enterprises, to us, it became increasingly obvious that there was no consumer uh, strategy that we could pursue where we could build a, a large independent business. And the data was coming back saying that if we pivoted, we could go and serve enterprises and be a disruptive platform that would be a much more powerful way that enterprises could go and collaborate and manage their data. Um, and so I think our, our biggest pivots have been um, situations where, where resoundingly it became clear uh, that you had to make the pivot, that that was the way forward. And usually that comes because of either, um, uh, you know, just the customer demand and the customer response is so overwhelmingly obvious of which path to pursue um, or as you kind of game theory out the situation, it equally becomes, um, you know, I think quite apparent what 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 the answer is going to be. And in the case of 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 um, of COVID and pivoting our product roadmap, um, it was really it was really both cases. One, customers as they were moving to a remote work environment, it became mm-hmm. very clear that that we had a bunch of features that we should go build for them because. They were needing to work and collaborate in these new ways. You mentioned that Box was started 15 years ago, uh, and it was, it's, which is like a long time for a Silicon Valley company, uh, specifically looking at how old you are. You're like you are 34 right now, right? If 35, I'm, if yeah. I'm, if I'm, yeah, if I'm correct. So, uh, and it was like a very interesting, right? Like looking at the history of, of the company. And, you know, besides like the, the sunny days, there were also some tougher situations uh, for your company. Um, there were like times when it wasn't easy with investors, you know, because they were not happy with the performance, uh, specifically looking at, uh, you know, the stock uh, being a roller coaster ride uh, in, in March. So, so talk about that experience and what you've learned over all these years about the ups and downs of the entrepreneurial life. Yeah, I mean, we, we've, we've had, you know, quite, quite, uh, quite the roller coaster experience and, and certainly lots of lots of ups and downs. And, and, you know, I think the things that I've learned um, 
probably probably the 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 two most important things that I've learned thus far in this journey is one, make sure that you're incredibly passionate about the problem that you're going after. Um, I think the only way to get through the ups and downs of of any business, any startup, let alone one that you go that goes on for 15 years, is if you're just deeply um, passionate about what you're trying to achieve and and the the kind of business that you're you're trying to build and what change you think you can have. Um, in the world. And in the case of Box, uh, I happen and my co-founders um, happen to be incredibly passionate about this idea of building software that makes it easier to get work done. And um, and that we want to go and tackle this problem of simplifying enterprise software and making life easier for people in the workplace. And that's a problem that, that you know, frankly, is going to exist in five years from now. It's going to exist in 10 years from now. It's going to exist in 20 years from now because it can't ever be perfectly solved. There will always be new challenges that emerge that will be exciting to go and and take on. And so when you have various ups and downs, maybe it's investors, you know, have, have problems temporarily with the business model. Maybe you go from losing money to making money. Maybe you have, um, you know, you, you have, um, a competitive dilemma and challenge that you have to deal with. The thing that gets you through those, those down periods in the business um, is being just unbelievably passionate about the mission of the company and where you're taking it over the long run. That's the first thing. The second thing is really about the team and the culture. Um, the only way to get through those events with that level of passion is if you're working with a team that that you think is going to be able to get you through that journey and get you through through those those right. you know dangerous or challenging times. And, and the only way to do that is obviously having a culture you can be proud of and working with with you know teammates um, that 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 you know, get you excited every single day to get out of bed um, and continue to do your best work. And so I've just been lucky where one, I happen to choose a space personally that I'm just very passionate about and doesn't ever get boring over time, even after 15 years. And two, making sure that that I'm getting to work um, day in and day out with people I like working with and building a culture that, that, you know, I think we can be proud of and continues to evolve and we can continue to work to improve where we can go and accomplish um, our ultimate mission. Right. Thanks, Erin. That was great. And now we are moving over to the second part of our podcast, which is our beer garden break. This is the part uh, that speaks to uh, the culture of bits and pretzels because we were born in Munich. We are obviously very close to Oktoberfest. And now both of us are moving virtually in this case because we don't want to get into trouble because of the coronavirus. We're moving over virtually to our virtual beer garden break. Uh, and now we have to say cheers. Do, wait, do I say cheers? <laughs> you can you can say because we we are drinking uh, we are drinking uh, sitting <laughs> okay, cheers. beer again, cheers and and what do we drink to Aaron? What what do we drink to? Um, you know health and um, you know everyone's health and uh, and and safety right now and um, and and you know certainly good luck on their on their business strategies. So you've started Box at the age of 19 after studying as a college business project in 2005. How did you come up with the ideas? Yeah, so we, we started Box in um, uh, in our sophomore year of college. And what we were trying to achieve was if you think back to 2004, which is really scary to, to do um, and shows how how long I've been at this now. If you, if you go back to 2004, the environment was very different from a technology standpoint. Um, 
people were the number one mobile device for smartphones was Blackberries. Um, nice. the, the, the number one browser on the internet was Internet Explorer. People were mostly on dial-up internet connections globally. And so if you just think about how much the world has changed, you know, we have faster browsers, faster internet, everybody has smartphones. And, and so the world was very different back in 2004, but we imagined a future where people would want to be able to access their files from any device in any location at any time. And so we built this idea of Box as really a modern application where people could just share their files securely and work from anywhere. And we, we started the company our sophomore year. A few uh, friends and I got together over the course of about a year and we, we launched a, a, a prototype and it got users and then ultimately we got investors. Um, and then this uh, U.S. investor, Mark Cuban, decided to invest in the company. And we, we ultimately took that funding and decided to drop out of college as a result of that. And really within the course of about a year, year and a half, um, you know, we had dropped out and, and started really building uh, Box out full time in Silicon Valley. And, um, and, uh, and, and we were then off to the races. What do entrepreneurs have to take into consideration in all these different stages from the early days to Series A to Series B? For me, there's just a few big factors. There's one is the, the what's the size and potential of the idea? Um, and it, it's interesting because when we started the company, um, most people didn't think it was going to be a big idea. Um, most people thought, well, you know, I can just email files to other people or why can't I just use a USB thumb drive? And, right. and so, you know, it's, it's funny thinking back that that, that was our competition. And, and yet, even though today now people are spending billions and billions of dollars on cloud services um, to be able to manage their information. And so so we, we felt like there was a really, really big idea here. And so it's very important for entrepreneurs to have a, a, a very big idea, even if it seems small or trivial in the beginning. And, and many of the best ideas absolutely feel that way. Um, you know, if you think about Airbnb, it was literally to rent out a, a, a blow up mattress in, in the middle right. of somebody's apartment. And yet crazy idea. Yeah, yeah exactly. Totally crazy. And or Uber, which was really just to be able to, to rent a town car. And obviously it disrupted all of transportation. So so I think the, the best ideas often start very small. There's a small nugget of an idea that, that, that ends up being so universal that it just is able to go in and transform an entire industry. So it's, it's really about large scale disruption packed into a very, very small, simple concept that often feels very trivial initially. The second thing is making sure that you've got really big tailwinds behind you from a marketplace standpoint. And what I mean by tailwinds is, is you really want something where even if you did nothing, the market was going to be moving in the direction that that you are are you know have a vision for and that might be mobile devices are going to be growing rapidly that might be banking is going to move to more digital experiences that might be you know people are going to want to um, you know earn extra income with some of the assets that they have so you want to have massive market tailwinds behind you that your business or your startup idea is going to be able to ride on top of so you can continue to kind of ride this wave of, of a much bigger market force that, that is going to be able to propel your business. Um, right. Oftentimes those market forces are technology market forces. Sometimes they are social or economic changes. Um, but, but it's really, really important to have massive tailwinds uh, behind you. And then I think that the third thing is really about traction. So making sure that you can prove how can you get your first 10 customers, your first 100 customers, your next 1,000 customers, then your 10,000 customers, What are the economics of that business model? Why, why does your business ultimately have profit potential? 
um, as it continues to scale. Uh, and then finally, I think, what is the team that, that's going to be able to produce it? So big idea with market tailwinds, strong economics, and a team that can pull it off. Those tend to be the most important variables. And, and at each stage of funding, um, you know, there, there tend to be greater emphasis on, on, on different elements of that. Um, you know, certainly as you get to a Series B or a Series C, as an example, the economics become even more important because mm. now you're talking about, you know, the, a company that probably should be generating 10 million or 50 million or 100 million in revenue um, and then continuing to scale from there versus when you're, you know, raising your Series seed or your A round, it might really just be about a big idea with a team and market tailwinds that, that you that you really you know need to make sure you have. Right. You mentioned that, you know, in the early days, nobody really thought about the cloud market. Uh, the situation looks completely different today. You have like major companies uh, also moving into the enterprise market, uh, including uh, Microsoft, obviously, and, and others. How do you deal with this new competition? And what do entrepreneurs have to consider when dealing with, you know, big tech companies entering their market? Yeah. So I think, um, I, I, you know, I think the the... Um, the, the big tech companies um, are, are you know, mostly the competition that any uh, company is having to deal with and um, any new startup. And so it is inevitable that any new startup emerging is going to be competing with a large incumbent technology company, whether that's Google or Microsoft or Facebook, um, you know, whoever that might be. And, mm -hmm. uh, and so that's, that's really the reality. There's no way to avoid that. I think the, the strategy is, finding the, the gaps in those um, big market players' environments and, or, or strategies where, uh, where they might not be paying as much attention, they might not be able to deliver the same kind of user experience, or ideally and most importantly, where your strategy is able to be disruptive to their core business model in a way where they can't easily respond to you as a company. And that's, mm -hmm. that's the really, really big opportunity. So if you can go after an incumbent where they're not able to replicate your strategy because it would be financially from a business model standpoint, unattractive to them to do so, that's really where you've got a great opportunity to go and be um, a, a disruptive startup. So you really want to look at places where the incumbent is not going to be incentivized to copy you or be able to follow you. Um, so as an example, if you're competing with a company that maybe is traditionally about vertical integration, then your strategy probably needs to be about openness. If you're going after an incumbent who traditionally is about openness and, and fragmented, you know, sort of capabilities, then you probably want to focus on, on uh, making sure that you have a very simple, you know, easy to use experience. If you have an incumbent that has a very expensive product for something that can now be delivered more cost effectively, then your strategy is probably to be a much cheaper product. And so mm -hmm. you have to kind of look at the competitive landscape and figure out where is the where is the opening of opportunity for you to do diff something very different from that incumbent and then make sure that you can exploit that um, to the greatest extent. And and ultimately, the best measure of that is, is how quickly you move as a startup. I think, you know, mm -hmm. the, the thing that a, a startup always has as, a, as an advantage is you should be able to move faster than the larger incumbent. And if you don't, and if you can't, then you really are in a, in a tough position um, because um, ultimately uh, that's the only advantage you have as a, as a startup over the long run is you can move quicker, you can make decisions faster, and you can innovate um, you know, much more consistently than, than the larger incumbent. 
And this is your strategy against your competitors as well? Yes. So, so our, our strategy is all about moving faster than the competition, making sure that, that, that we can build a, a more open, simpler, more secure platform than our competition um, and do so in a way that, that you know, we don't think our competitors can easily replicate. Open in terms of what? Like open to the customer, open to data, open, open yeah. to what? Uh, yeah, in our case, it's, it's being more integrated with our customers' uh, technology, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. is a, a strategy of being a neutral open platform right. as opposed to uh, other players that are maybe more closed. Or you're just locked in as a customer, right? Exactly yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so obviously, um, you know, you are now 35 years old, which is pretty young for, uh, for a founder who has like this huge track, track uh, record that you have. What's next for you? And did you ever think about exiting box? Um, well, you know, this is back, back to maybe the earlier, earlier part of the conversation. Um, I happen to be doing something that I truly love every single day of, uh, of, of work, um, and, uh, and, and when you think about the kinds of problems you can solve in the cloud and how you can change what the world looks like in the future, uh, in terms of how people work in every single industry from entertainment to governments, to, uh, life sciences, organizations, to healthcare providers, um, it's, it's an enormous honor to be able to go and build a company that can go in and have that much of an impact in how people work in the, in, in, in the future and, and in today. Um, and so I, I get incredibly excited about what we're doing and, and, um, and definitely want to be able to do this as, as long as possible and as long as I can be adding value to, uh, to, the, to our organization and our success. So no exit for you so far? No, 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 no plan. Before we go on, here's a brief message from us. We just kicked off ticket sales for our highlight event in the fall. The virtual Bits and Pretzels Networking Week from September 27th to October 2nd. If you want to learn more about our program featuring the top of the league of the international founder NPC community and get your ticket before it's too late and we are sold out, go to bitsandpretzels.com. Again, that's bitsandpretzels.com. Tickets are limited, so better hurry up. Coming to our either or game right now, and this is how it works. I give you two words and you choose one and explain real quick why you've made that choice. And the first one obviously is bits or pretzels. Um, uh, I, I would say um, let's go with bits probably. Although pretzels sound pretty good. <laughs> Follow or lead? Uh, I'm, I'm going to go with lead on this one. Because? Well, um, I, I, uh, I, I do, I, I tend to be so opinionated that if I'm, if I'm not leading, I end up being so annoying to the leader that, um, that I, I, uh, I don't, I, I don't do super well. And so, um, it's not even that I want to lead. It's that I'm just, I, I think I'm so annoying that, that it, it just forces me to have to find a way to, to do that. <laughs> chaos or order? Oh, definitely order. I, uh, I, I think chaos is too stressful. Speaking or listening? <laughs> um, uh, shit. Um, can, can I say 50-50 on this one, please? I, okay. I, I, like, I do like listening, but I do tend to, uh, to speak uh, way too much. So that's, uh, that's something I'm working on. 
Conquer or compromise? Oh, compromise for sure. Um, I think that, I think there's often, um, I think there's a few areas where you have to be incredibly decisive and principled and you can't let anything else compromise those decisions. Um, I think, I think there's two big categories like this. I think there's um, product decisions and I think there's culture decisions that you have to be very principled about and there's no compromise whatsoever. But I think beyond that, I think whether it's, you know, customers and pricing and business models and serving customers, I think it's important to be thinking about both sides uh, of the equation and, and, um, uh, and, and I think in, whether it's a debate or, um, or, you know, a business model challenge. Um, I think it's, it's important to find areas of compromise, um, not consensus to be clear. Um, uh, you'll, you'll almost always get a bad decision with that, but I do think that it's, it's helpful to compromise where, where possible. Dreamer or realist? Dreamer. To me, it's the only, it's the only way to go through life. Uh, you know, the, the, you're, you're, you, the, the fun part is to try and change reality. And so if you're a realist, then you get just stuck in how things are today. And, and, you know, what's the, what's the fun in that? Aaron, thank you so much for coming on the Bits and Pretzels podcast. It was a huge pleasure uh, to talk to you. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. All right, that was it for today. Thank you so much for listening. Please let us know how we do and write to us at podcast at bitsandpretzels.com. Don't miss the next episode of this podcast and subscribe to our media newsletter at bitsandpretzels.com slash media sign up. Again, that's bitsandpretzels.com slash media sign up. Stay safe and see you next Wednesday. <laughs>